0: Our scripture today is Romans twelve, twelve. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey good morning. It's good to see you all and glad you guys can be here over this holiday weekend. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. I usually do a bulk of the preaching, and so I will continue to do such. We've been going through the book of Romans, and we say this every week. We will finish this book um, at the very end of November, and uh, looking forward to that. But so far, we've been, last couple of weeks, going through one verse at a time, um, giving us an opportunity to look at what does genuine love look like when it's fleshed out in our life. And so we're going to do that uh, this morning, looking at verses 12 in Romans chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, why don't you guys meet me in Romans 12 verse 12. Verse 12, if you don't have a Bible, why don't you slip up your hand and keep it raised really high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. Um, just go ahead and hold it up high until uh, someone sees you and they'll hand that word, the Bible out to you. Um, if you have the Bible that we're handing out, we're going to be on page 616. Uh, a couple questions that have been asked of me so far this week, uh, mainly from people who are in, in our congregation, and that is how did the 7 o'clock service go? Uh, Some of you know that we suspended our 7 o'clock service for uh, some time over the summer, and we kicked it back off last week at First Congregational Church, which is closer to ASU, um, with the hopes of reaching people who did not know Jesus or did not have a church um, that were um, on the campus at ASU. It went really, really well. Um, I think the volunteers, and Ryan Arneson in particular, one of our uh, elders and pastors here, led that really well, and we had a great time. Um, over there, and it's, it's good to be um, with that particular demographic over there, and it was good to be in a different building. Um, it was unique to be in the building with stained glass windows and pews. I, I, I cussed less when I was over there, and so that was, that was good. Just, just, just joking. Some of you guys are like, oh, <laughs> what church did we go to today? no, no, no. But what I did, I did is I forgot my Bible there, and I wasn't able to get it throughout the week, and so I have my favorite Bible here, which doesn't have a cover, and I just want to let you guys know that so that no one goes, oh, we need to buy the poor pastor a Bible. He doesn't have a cover. It's okay. Um, I've read this Bible so much, the cover has fallen off. So that's what I'll be teaching from this morning. Again, a joke again. 9.30, help me. Come on. Come on. <laughs> All right? Romans chapter 12, and so let me kind of give you just kind of an overview of where we've been so far and why we're going through uh, verse by verse, line by line in this moment. Um, Mainly because we spent about 70 weeks or whatever it was, on Romans chapters 1 all the way through 11, building out theology and doctrine, things that were needed, that were a necessity for us to understand the Christian faith. And what's been really good in this is how many people we've seen that entered into the series of Romans as not Christians, never trusting in Christ, but now having an opportunity to believe in Jesus, primarily because how much the gospel was preached week after week after week after week in the pages of Romans. And then we got to Romans 12, and Paul says, okay, now therefore, so meaning in response to everything you heard about God's life and love for you in Jesus, this is how you should live. Present your entire bodies as a living sacrifice, we talked about. That means everything that you do, your vocation, your habits, your hobbies, your words, your thoughts, that they're an act of worship to God. And then we went down and saying there's gifts that the body has, and Paul begins to address us as people, not just as individuals, but as people, as a collection of people, followers of Christ. And in Romans 3 through 8, he talked about how these gifts look and how we are to serve one another. And then when we hit Romans 9, we said, okay, there's a mini-series happening now within Romans 12, and it is that of love and how love begins to express itself in the community life of a church and of people who follow Christ. We said genuine love is someone, it shows itself in getting rid of what's evil and clinging to or holding fast to what is good. After that, we talked about genuine love shows itself in brotherly affection and outdoing and showing honor to one another. And then last week we said this genuine love, how it fleshes itself out, is not being slothful in zeal, but having a passion for Jesus and how we can live in a way that, has pa- that shows that we have passion for Jesus. And what we have this week is unique. Unique in it doesn't seem like it connects to genuine love, but it does. In fact, what I think Paul gives us this morning is an opportunity to think about genuine love and see how genuine love is expressed when times are not good. In times when God himself seems distant, Our sin and the consequences of sin seems real, meaning there's tribulation because you've been sinned against or just because you live in a broken world or the realities of you you wrestling with the consequences of your own mistakes and your own sins. How do we love in those moments? And I believe what Paul gives us in this one verse in verse 12 is helpful for that of genuine love. One, it shows us that love points to hope. And we'll look at that. And number two, that love perseveres in pain. And then lastly, that love is persistent in prayer. And so before we jump into God's word, would you guys bow your heads with me and let's ask God by the Holy Spirit to illuminate his scripture in our time this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the life and love of Jesus that you have given to us. We pray, as you've already taught us, that the love of Christ has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit, Lord, let us start there today. Understand that we can only love because you first loved us. And everything that you've called us to be in this text, Lord, to rejoice and hope, Lord, to have patience in tribulation, to be constant in prayer, these are all things that are possible because of your life and your love. And so, God, I pray even in this moment for those in this room that trust you and follow you, Lord, that you would affirm this truth to us, how we are loved in you, And for those who have never believed that, Lord, that you would affirm it to them by your spirit of your life and love which has been given to us. Take everything that I say, God, and use it as an offering to you. Lord, prepare our hearts as we come to the table this morning to remember Jesus through communion and worshiping through song. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Um, To me, um, some of the most comforting words, two of the most comforting words that you can hear, that a person can hear in a relationship with Jesus Meaning two of the most comforting words is you are in a community with other believers or you are with people who who are seemingly more mature than you or anyone walking with Jesus. Two of the most comforting words is when you hear me too, me too. And it usually follows you talking about an issue that you've gone through, maybe a struggle or maybe suffering or maybe a hard time maybe a loss of someone that you love, maybe a miscarriage, something that is hurting you to this day. It could have been distant, it could be present, it could be something you're wrestling with and when you're walking along with somebody or somebody else is walking along with you and they say, me too. S- sometimes it's, it's when you deal with failure, your own failure. Um, I've said this before, it is often easy for us, easier I would say, for us to understand God's grace and his forgiveness of our sins, when we look at the things in which we committed, the sins in which we committed before we knew Jesus, sometimes it's easier to see his blood wash over that. What's really hard for us is when those same sins continue into our new life, because we know better, And Christ is with us, and we have his spirit, and yet we still fall, and we still stumble, and we still sin. And dealing with the consequences, and sometimes it's the failure of that um, following our new life in Christ is really hard. And when you confess sin to one another, as James says that we ought to do, sometimes the most comforting words is when you hear, me too. Because when you hear Me Too, you're usually looking to someone who you love, someone who you respect, someone else who is following Jesus, and you've seen them get through that trial or you've seen them get through that tribulation. They can talk about an experience when God seemed distant to them and that the realities of sin seem more present than even the presence of grace of God, that you've seen them get through that moment. So it gives us some sense of hope that we're not in this alone. When Paul begins to give us these imperatives and commands on how to live this life of love, he's not saying go do this alone. He's saying do this with others because here's the reality of the Christian life. Two things that you can bet on. One, that there will be trials and there will be tribulations. If you you haven't gone through one, you're going to. If you're not currently in one now, it's coming. And the second thing is you'll fail. There'll be a moment in your life as a follower of Christ, well, you'll just blow it, that you will sin. The the, the Christian life is not believe in Jesus and then be perfect, and if you're not perfect anymore, start back over again, right? It it reminds me of of video games. I don't play video games anymore, um, but when I used to play them, it used to be like, you can only go to a certain level, and if you didn't pass that level, you went all the way back to the beginning, right? Some of you guys are like, oh, I don't know, I don't play video games. Sadly, the stats say most of you are playing them now, Put your phones away. All right, so it's, it's the reality of that many of us think we believe in Jesus and then we get closer and closer to God and if we have a major fail, whatever that major fail is for you, then we go all the way back to the beginning. But that's not what Paul has been saying. That's not what the gospel teaches. What Paul is saying is this life of love is not just a life that's peachy keen. It's not a life that's just happy, clappy. But this life in itself comes with trials and tribulations. This life comes and when you, a follower of Christ, those of you who love Jesus, who love God, will have moments where you blow it. And so the question is, how, do, how does genuine love get manifested through that? How does it get manifested through that type of life? Well, the first thing that I have is what Paul says here: is we got to rejoice in hope. Is that love actually points to hope, and the midst of pain, and the midst of realities, and the midst of the consequences of your sin? Love points to hope. So if you have your Bibles and you're with me in Romans 12, verse 12, Paul says, "Rejoice in hope." The first thing is rejoice in hope, which I love that. And I love that in in terms of me too, because he's saying in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, there's just rejoicing and hope, right? You want to relate to somebody? Um, In the Bible, which I think is very helpful when it comes to a me too, the the best person in the Bible that I relate to um, is not the Apostle Paul. Some people always go, I relate to the Apostle Paul, like I'm like the Apostle Paul, and I want to say, you're not even close to the Apostle Paul. Quit saying that, right? Right? What, what? Yeah, anyways, and so when, what, for me, it's King David. I'm not saying I'm King David, but here's what I love about King David. When, if, you don't, if you're not familiar with King David, King David is just a passionate man who does some dumb stuff. Like, he loves God, but he does some dumb stuff, and yet he continually just pursues God. And so he's a guy who God says himself is a man after his own heart. Like, his nickname is, that's David, a man after his own heart. And what I love about that is David didn't give himself that nickname, Right? We have a whole generation of people who give themselves nicknames now. It's like me going, hey, don't call me Ricardo more. Call me Rig Dog. You know, you know, D-O-double-G, right? And it's like, if you give a nickname to yourself, you've lost it, bro. Right? You've lost it. God gives him this. He's a man after my own heart. And then David's a young boy, and he's fighting lions and, um, and bears. And then he gets in his first fight. And his first fight is not with some punk kid on, this, on the playground. It's with a giant And he shows up to bring his brother's lunch, and he's like, what's going on? He goes, no one wants to fight this giant. He's like, I'll fight this giant, right? (laughs) Like, I'll fight this giant. And he gets his Dennis the Menace slingshot and then takes this giant out. David grows up. He's faithful to the man who is serving Saul, even though he knows he's going to be king, but he waits for God's timing. He's a man with a God's own heart. Well, you fast forward in David's life, and David blows it. David blows it. David's supposed to be off at war. He's supposed to be fighting. He's at home. The Bible lets us know in First and Second Samuel that he wakes up in the middle of the day, which to me seems like you wake up in the middle of the day when you've been doing too much late at night, whatever that is, and he wakes up and he walks out and he sees this woman showering and, 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 he, and he wants that woman and he doesn't walk away, he doesn't go confess sin, he doesn't say, you know what, he doesn't guard his heart, he doesn't do any of the things, right? He ends up having an affair with this woman. And then she gets pregnant, and he tries to cover it up by taking her husband and put him in a position where he could be murdered, right? Like a man with the God's own heart. And then the story shows he repents, and here's where I resonate with David. I don't resonate with David and bears and slanty giants. That hasn't happened in my life. I resonate with David because David fails. He knows he's failed, and yet he becomes broken before the Lord. And what I love about that is God never once in that moment says, he's no longer a man after my own heart. He still called the man after God's own heart because God was after his heart. It's not so much David that I just resonate with David. What I resonate with is that he could still be a man of grace, a man of understanding God's love. And when you begin to read David's psalms, you see the ups and downs of David's life. He's constantly being pursued and chased by enemies. He's constantly having even his own kids against him. And he still is saying, God, where are you? And so we sing this song, and I believe we're gonna sing it today, where, in Psalm 42, where David essentially says, as a deer pants for water, so my soul, it pants for you, it thirsts for you. Meaning, if I'm parched, I want you. Here's this man of, 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 of grace. Here's this man of sin and acknowledgement of his sin. Here's a man who's been chosen by God who's a normal person, who who blows it, who has the consequences of his own sin that he has to deal with. He has the tribulations of this world that he has to deal with. And more than anything, he says, God, but what I want in this life is you. It's because he knows that he's loved by God. When Paul says rejoice and hope, you can only get there if you understand that you are loved by God. Because when you take those two words, they don't make sense in a broken world. They don't make sense. And and when we read the newspaper, they don't make sense in our own life. Unless we know that we are deeply loved by God, that you and I are people by faith and grace, by God's love towards us, that we could be labeled as people who are righteous, though our deeds have not been righteous. That we could be people who are justified, though our past performance shows that there's nothing in our resume, our spiritual resume, that, is, that would warrant God's love. But he loves us because he loves us. So Paul says, rejoice and hope. The, the word rejoice comes from the word joy. And oftentimes we think joy is a sense of smiling and laughing. And, and there could be elements of that. But joy is not the same way that we think of happy. Joy is far more being content and saying, God is enough. It's David saying, I'm satisfied in you, God. Yeah, my kids are after me. Yeah, I'm, I had a guy murdered. And I slept with this wife. I'm satisfied in you, God. That the king, he's the king, but I'm satisfied in you. That, he says rejoice in hope, meaning have a joy where God is enough. And then the second word he says is hope. And hope is a word that we use a lot, just in our, our normal vernacular. We say things like, I hope this is going to happen. I could say things like, hey, I hope ASU beats New Mexico. I hope ASU wins the national championship. Why not, right? <laughs> Chances are <laughs> there's, no, there's no reality, There's no no confidence that I have for sure that that's going to happen. When the Bible talks about hope, guys, the Bible talks about a confident reality, something that's going to happen, and you can plan your whole life around it. Right? And we first see Paul talking about this love pointing to hope, actually in Romans chapter 5, verse 5. And here's what he says. And hope does not put us to shame. The reason why David knows that though I failed in this way, the reason why we can know that when we fail in major ways, that hope will not put us to shame. The reason why we know in tribulation and pain that hope will not put us to shame is because love points to hope. He says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That, that Paul says this love, this, this, this great love of God, not not sprinkled in our life, poured into our hearts, meaning every ounce of affection and every ounce of love that God the Father would have for his son Jesus, he's given to us by the Holy Spirit that we may experience and have a true rejoicing contentment in God and the hope that we have. And the hope that we have is something that we have not yet fully experienced. Hope is something that is promised to us, but we have not experienced. This hope that the Bible talks about is a day in which we will see Jesus. And a day that we will be one with Jesus. A day in which sin in our own life and the proclivity to sin will be removed. That sin in others will be removed, punished, destroyed, away with. That the world will be as it ought to be. That we will walk in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve walked with God that he says that every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. Not that we won't remember things, we will remember them, but we will have a perspective in knowing God and seeing God and walking with him fully, having the joy of salvation realized that we can be fully satisfied in him. This love that has been pouring into our hearts, it points to hope. And when we have this love, our whole life should be oriented around that love. But the problem is I think that you and I, for the most part, we, we don't think about that day. Like, most of us are just content with being forgiven of our sins and living in this world the way that it is now. I mean, just think about it. When was the last time you spent some time thinking about what it would be like for you to see and know and walk with Jesus? When's the last time you thought about what this world would look like when justice reigns, when every tear is wiped away, when God himself will be the light When's the last time we, we focused on our whole lives being prepared in the way that we live and all the decisions that we make are, are, are rooted in what we know and trust what God said that he will do? Here's what this looks like. Um, when, when Holly and I, my wife and I, when we got engaged, right, you go through that period where you, you date and you pretend to be somebody you're not, and then you get engaged, right? And then, you know, it's that moment when I looked at her and I said, Hey, girl, you want to marry me? And she looked at me, she couldn't wait, I couldn't wait till you said that, right? That's how it went. <laughs> and so, anyways, so once we got engaged, once we got engaged, the rest of my life for that next five months, which was very short, which I recommend, but for the next five months is that we begin planning for this wedding, and then we begin planning being married. And so all my financial decisions were planning as if we were going to get married. Um, All the the decisions I was making was planning as if we were going to get married. I was leading a small group, but it was all guys, but I wanted my wife to be with me. That'd be weird. And so I said, okay, guys, this is over. We can't end this. It's over. Find a girlfriend, get married, and we can all do this together. Go, right? And so... We, 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 we planned everything for that. I sent out invitations to people, to friends, to come to this wedding. Here's why. Because I trusted in the love of Holly. She had made a commitment to me. She said she was going to be there on that day, July 21st, 2007. Or what was then East Valley Bible Church, now Redemption Gilbert. So at that day, right, that she would be there. And so we sent out the invitations. And I knew that when I stood up there that I wasn't going to be put to shame. That the doors were going to open up. And Holly was gonna walk down the aisle, and I was gonna go, You look good, girl. (laughs) And she was gonna say the same thing in her vernacular. (laughs) Which would probably have been like, You too. (laughs) 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 And it was all based upon her promise and her love. And so my whole life for those five months was banked on her words. We were not married. We, 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 had a, we had a covenant, we had a promise, we hadn't sealed that covenant, It had been consummated, but my whole life was around it. That is somewhat of an illustration, but it's not the best illustration. Here's why. When it comes to our hope in God, it's far more sure than my hope in getting married. Because the reality of it is, in that five months, there could have been something I could have done, that Hollywood have said, "No, I'm out." And then she could have done something, and, and then I could have said, no, I'm out." When it comes to our hope in God, Do you realize that that God is never going to say I'm out? God God didn't promise you anything because of your performance or who you pretended to be. He didn't promise you anything because of the potential that you had in in, in, um, investing in his kingdom. He promised you something because he loved you. And he made it happen and he paid the cost by giving his son Jesus for you. And so we have this phrase in our culture that past performance is usually the best indicator of future success. And that may, good, may be good in business and even actions. That's terrible when it comes to the gospel. Because past performance, our resume was no good. God looks at our resume and says no good. But he looks at the resume of Christ, the performance of Christ on our behalf, and he accepts us because of his past performance, not ours. The reality of it is our past performance, both good and bad, continue. But God is not saying, this hope that I have for you, this hope that I give you, this promise that I have to be with you forever to consummate this covenant of love is not based on anything that you've done or that you can do or anything that you will do, good or bad. It's based upon his love. And so when Paul says, what do we do in moments where there's the reality of sin and God seems distant, that there should be a joy still in the midst of the pain because we know that God's love has been poured in our heart. And so the hope that we have is that God will never leave us nor forsake us and we will reign with Jesus, amen? That, 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 that is the probably, out of this verse, the most important part and the most I'll spend the most time on is relying upon the day in which we see Jesus. That somehow in your week, you have to find something to remind you, take a, a five-minute period to remind you, to raise your affection of, I long to see Jesus in that day. And is my life being um, reoriented around that truth are the decisions that I'm making financially, the relationships that I'm entering into, whether it be a covenant relationship of marriage or friendship, the vocations that you choose, the way in which you serve, is everything you're doing in light that you know that God is standing at the altar saying, I am waiting for the grace of God to, to be fully realized that you will be with me, one with me for all eternity? Or do you find yourself so looking around to other people, to other gods, to other things for your hope? Because the reality of it is, if you're like me, your hope is placed in your performance. And when you feel like you're walking strong in the Lord, it's good. You want to see Jesus. When you feel like your walk is not as strong, you don't want to see Jesus. You want to make sure you can get a little better first. And Paul says, no, no, no. The rejoicing that you can have in hope is constant and it's permanent because God's love has been poured in in your heart and it points to hope. And Paul doesn't just stop there for us. Um, Paul continues here. He says, rejoice in hope. And then he says this, be patient in tribulation. Be, be patient in tribulation. And, and the second point that I have is love points to hope, but also that love perseveres in pain. L- let me tell you this. whether you're in this, If you're in this room and you're not a believer in Christ and you're going, okay, that, that sounds really good, it, whatever. Um, but what about this being patient in tribulation? If you love Jesus or you don't love Jesus, crap's going to happen in your life. That's just the reality, and you know that. I don't have to prove that to you. You've lived long enough to know that that's just the reality. Like, things are going to happen in your life that are just no good. Um, If you love Jesus and you are loved by God, he's saying that there's a posture of love that manifests itself, meaning there is a way in which you can be persistent in the midst of pain. And so let me just deal with something on the front end, Um, because what usually comes up is why would a good and loving God allow suffering? That question comes up, and that's a valid, valid question for most people, for all of us, Christian and non-Christian alike. And what we know is, from a philosophical standpoint, we don't know why God does it. Whenever I hear or read of someone saying, here's why God's doing it, and they give all these answers, and they try to give verses to prove why God's allowing suffering in this world, we don't know the answer. The bigger question for me is, why did he even allow it to enter into the world to begin with? And I don't have the answer for that. Some of you are like, man, if you would have never raised that question, I would have never had that question, but now you raised it, and now I have it. (laughs) Welcome, right? So... There, there, there's a the reality that suffering is in this world. Why does he allow it? I don't know. Here's what I do know, though. Here's what I do know, is that Christianity, biblical Christianity, ha- is the only religion where we have a God who, who don't only just looks at suffering, but is willing to suffer not only for us, but with us. That God put on flesh to, to enter into a world of suffering, to one day relieve it, to remove it. And so that's what we do know. We don't, we don't know why he's allowing it, But we can know this, too. We can know what he's doing in it. We can know what he's doing. The reason why love is manifested by showing itself to be persistent or patient in tribulation or persistent in pain is because we know what the outcome is. We know the what. What God is doing for those who love Jesus. If you go back again to Romans 5, here's what Paul says, Romans 5, um, 3 through 5. He says this, more than that, we rejoice in suffering or tribulation, or pain, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's this kind of building. If you go to James, which is probably the more familiar text on this, in James chapter 1, I mean, James, like, right out the gun, just starts, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, pain, suffering, for you know that as the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking nothing. I love that, perfect and complete. That, that, that's the Greek word uh, teleos, which means perfect, not that you don't have mistakes, but that you're, you're most useful for a purpose. Meaning what God is doing in the life of a follower of Jesus, a person who has hope in what God is ultimately doing, is he's making you more and more like Jesus, making you more and more useful. Meaning, in our suffering. But most of us can look retrospect and go, oh, yeah. I remember when this thing happened to me. I know when this happened or this thing that's in me now. And we can say, you know what? I wouldn't prescribe this for anybody. Like, I look at my life, and I I think I had a decent life. My boys have a better life than me, and I keep trying to tell them this, which I know my parents tried to tell me, and I didn't listen either. So when Noah's 31, he'll get it. Um, (laughs) Is they have a better life than me. And I love some of the things I've learned from my upbringing. However, I don't want them to experience some of the things I had to experience to get here. But in God's sovereign purpose and plan for me, and in God's sovereign perfect plan for you, perfect plan for you, there are stuff that he causes or actively allows in order to make you more and more like him and make more and more purposeful. This is why I go crazy when I hear ministers and pastors teach that if you love God, he's just going to prosper you. And, and hear me, does God prosper his people? Absolutely. There, are, there, there are, I mean, all of us here in some ways have been prosperous. We have some sort of means to at least put on clothes, thank goodness, to be here, right? However, That doesn't mean that if you trust and obey God that he's promising you all of these things because some of the most faithful, godly people I know have the most junk in their life. And and, and I get furious about that because people believe that. And many of my family members, they believe that. And it's like, that's not what the Bible's teaching. In fact, Jesus says this, in this world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. And he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world, meaning follow me in it. Follow me in it. So we, look at, we can look at Jesus and go, oh, Jesus said me too. He sympathizes with us and our weakness. And, and, and so we know the outcome of this suffering, that we'll go through things, right? And it, all it is is perspective. The reason why love can, we can be persistent or patient, that, that word just literally means to hold firm to your faith in the midst of whatever pain you're in. And things will rock you. It doesn't mean that your faith won't dwindle. It will rock you, right? You have your spouse walk on you, out on you? It'll rock you. You have your mom or dad divorced, that'll rock you. I know adults, adults to this day, that the divorced parents, those of you guys are right now, because I get it, I'm going to talk to people all day. Some of you guys, I don't know you, but you're, you're in a position right now where your marriage is rocky. It's just the reality of it. It's just the reality of it, this many people you are here, And then sometimes people will say, the kids will get through it. Bull crap. I know that's not good language, but no way. Your kids don't just get over things like that. And I'm not saying fix your marriage for your kids, you made a commitment. You made a covenant. Honor God in that covenant and that commitment that you made. Y- y- you see, these things rock us. But Paul is saying the reason why we can be patient in them is because we know what God's doing. And what God is doing is piece by piece, moment by moment, suffering after suffering, pain after pain. He's making you more like Jesus. Some of you have never trusted in Jesus. You never trusted him. And some of the things that are happening in your life could be, I don't know, could be because he's trying to get your attention that life without him is painful as it is. But life with him, you can have love and patience within that pain, understanding where he's getting you. Amen? So this this love points to hope. But this love gives us the ability to be patient in the midst of pain. And patient is not just going, oh, I accept it, please punch me in the face. Right? (laughs) I want to look more like Jesus. Oh, right here, you missed the other one. Turn the other cheek, right? (laughs) It's way more of a patience of saying, God, I don't know I trust in your word, and I trust that you are making me more like Jesus. I may not be able to understand it now. Help me to consider it joy. Help me to understand that you're producing character in me that I could not produce in myself. Some of the best means of discipleship is life experiences, and and, and Paul is saying love is manifested in this way. The last thing that Paul shows us here is that love points to hope. Love is persistent and, uh, and pain, and then love is Love is patient, perseveres in pain. You guys knew that. He perseveres, in, love perseveres in pain, and love is persistent in prayer. This last one is just, I, I think Paul just goes, there's no way you can, you can live in a light of this world without prayer. I mean, but functionally speaking, we do it. But he's saying, faithfully speaking, there's no way that you can, you can live in this world without prayer. Is be constant in prayer. And, and to be constant in prayer, that word literally means to be, to never be without it. And what I love about this is Paul is speaking to Christians and he knows that even early first century Christians, although sometimes we we say, like, that's when it was great, it was always a moment where Paul or Jesus had to say, keep praying. Like, it reminds me of in in the the Gospel of Luke when Jesus is talking about the persistent widower. You guys know that story? And where Jesus shares this story of a woman who's continuing to pray. And he goes goes to the judge and he goes, it's unjust judge, and he goes, hey, um, can you help me? And the judge is like... Get out of here. And she goes back. Can you help me? Can you help me? Well, finally, the judge goes, You know what? I don't care about God and I don't care about this woman, but because she keeps bothering me, I'm going to give her what she wants, right? And then Jesus, only time in scripture where he compares himself to someone who's unjust, goes, Do you see what the unjust judge did? Would not your father, he goes, Would not your father who loves you give you things if you would just ask? He's saying, He's saying, Bother me. But constantly be that kid before God asking God for the healing of people, asking God to provide, asking God to reveal himself, to save people. He's saying constantly be in prayer. And so the picture that I have that I want to leave you with, that I love the word of continuing in prayer, it, it, like I said, it means to um, never be without. And you know what I think about? Cell phones. We are always, oh, we're, oh hey, I got to go why? My phone is not with me, right? And it's like, I I have to be with my phone, right? We were like lost without the phone. You ever had that? You're driving, and you're, uh uh-oh, uh-oh. I know I'm gonna be late to this funeral. I better, I better go back and get my phone, right? Because, you know, who's gonna get a hold of me, and how can I get all the people? I gotta have this phone. So here's one practical thing for you this week. As you are, as love is persistent in prayer, every time you go to grab your phone, every time you check a score, every time you, every time you touch your phone, pray to God. Just pray to God. Every time you look for your phone, Pray to God, Lord, thank you that I have a phone, it's something as simple as that. To Lord, this person I'm going to call, let me pray for them. And sometimes someone texts you, hey, you just text me, just let you know, I just prayed for you. Just let them know. And what else did you need? But it's, it was a solicitor. Tell them. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Goodness. If anybody needs it. Um, whatever it is. And so, 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 so hear me on this. In the midst of trials, in the midst of pain, In the midst of suffering, some of you may go, this is not a sermon for me today because everything's going really, really good. Okay, tuck it away. You will need it at some point. But you can pull it back out. In the midst of this, that love points to hope. That is, you're going to see Jesus. You're going to see him. And you need to ask God to grow your affections for that day. And then plan your life around it now. Because it's happening. That's a confident hope. Love is persistent. Or excuse me, it perseveres in pain. Because you know the outcome. But We don't know why, but the what of what God is doing and causing or actively allowing the stuff that happens in our life is to make us more and more like Jesus. And lastly, love. A lover is someone who always prays. And so let's be without prayer. Let's never be without prayer, but it's something that as a people of God that we're constantly praying. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the life and love of your son Jesus. We thank you for the work on the cross. We thank you for um, all that you have done to reconcile us to yourself, God. In the midst of our trials, when you seem distant and you seem far, God, help us in our weaknesses. God, help us, Lord, to see the perspective that you give us through the gospel, that your love in itself is manifested most as we look to you as our hope, as we look to being more and more and conformed and transformed to be more and more like Jesus in the midst of our pain. And Lord, like Christ, that we are spending time with you in prayer that there's an intimacy that will be built in prayer, that we are practically, functionally, spiritually, and faithfully praying for the needs of those around us, and for those who do not yet know you to come to know you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.